Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, aka the Crypto Hipster, where I interview founders, executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders in crypto and blockchain and Bitcoin all around the world globally. Um, and today I have an amazing guest. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Um, I'm excited. And um, his name is Stefan Rust. He is the founder of Laguna Labs. Uh, Stefan, welcome. Thank you, Jamil. Super glad to be here and, and great to be connected. And, you know, um, yeah, always good to meet people that have been in crypto for a number of years and understand the intricacies associated with true believers. Awesome. Yeah. Five years feels like 50. I'm not going. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, they say every crypto year is like a dog year, right? So it's seven years, um, and and it definitely feels like that. I mean, yeah, I can't. Yeah. Never, Sorry. never short on news. Never short on activity, uh, gossip, um, intricacies, um, battles, scars, wounds, um, sagas. You name it. I mean, we go through everything and this, not just on one single chain, which we all started off with Bitcoin, but on a slew of chains that have evolved since the initial, you know, Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, I agree. Not just cars. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you first, though, kick things, kick things off is, is uh, about your background. What is it? What is your background? And is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Well, I mean, I obviously think so. And I think it, it's been, for me, it's been an evolution versus a just jump into this space. I feel I have an appropriate background. I started off my career, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I launched a number of businesses and my first business was going up against a regulator and the operator in that space at the same time in telecommunications and it was in china at the same time i launched a mobile network with some partners in four different cities throughout china competing against the regulator as well as the incumbent and the regulator and the incumbent were the same player so china telecom and we were uh, launching a network under the China Unicom brand, which we then sold in 20, what was it, yeah, 1999, so a long time ago. Um, and so that's sort of how, do you, how to tackle institutions and the regulator and comp compete against the regulator at the same time. So that was sort of one angle that I sort of got started in. The second was then on launching with sun microsystems i then sort of head up their corporate development arm around mobility and they we had this thing called java at the time and how do we scale back the java runtime to run on all these super cool mobile devices or before they were super cool mobile devices but they were just mobile devices and we had this thing called a java virtual machine so again like in Ethereum and the Ethereum virtual machine, we had the Java and the Java virtual machine. And we got that footprint embedded in mobile operator handsets as the operators were those days, you know, specifying the, the terms and the um, 
technical specifications associated for handsets as well as OEM. So the Samsungs of the world, the Nokia's when they were still around and the Sony's, the Ericsson's, et cetera, and Motorola's and Blackberry's uh, when they were still around. So we had Java virtual machines embedded in there. It was an open source product and it was how do we convert that into a revenue stream with open source products and how do we grow a community around that open source products um and then yeah and then the last thing sort of when the iphone came to market um all of a sudden there was a slew of companies that were seeing oh wow the app store is a thing we need to build an app store to compete against the iphone so how do we grow and build relationships with developers around the world and that was the last sort of step right so all of a sudden we need developers we need a community we need people to build on top of our platform and in those days it was a mobile os and that's when one of the developers that we we then i then left sun and sort of set up my own business and we were a developer network agency so we would help all the big tech companies identify where and what type of developers you would want to acquire to write to your os basically um and your sdks and we basically then yeah together with uh two other co-founders we then launched a business we were doing 30 hackathons around the world one of the developers wanted to be paid in bitcoin in around 2012 and i didn't know what bitcoin was and then i searched it uh, looked it up and saw that they had a bitcoin j wallet which was written in java so i was comfortable with that and so i thought let's go spend some money and see what it's like bought some ebay bought some on ebay paid in uh, with paypal and it works it worked luckily really well so i had a great experience first time and didn't think much of it really other than oh great experiment worked okay i don't know what to do with it until about nine months later when i could pay that said developer uh via a skype call instantaneously with no fees no middleman straight peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system and that got me hooked okay we need to go find developers that did a building on bitcoin who's writing on bitcoin where are they writing and one thing led to the next i i met with roger veer who had the url bitcoin.com um and he wanted somebody to help grow that and scale that and that's sort of then what i took on as a mission and grew that to about 20 million wallets and 500,000 merchants worldwide. We launched an exchange, we got credit cards, we really scaled that business significantly. Great team um, until COVID came. And then I just felt we needed to leverage other products versus Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum. How can we leverage more in terms of smart contracts and bringing governance on chain? What does that look like? And what is governance on chain? How does that manifest itself? And that sort of led to the creation of Laguna Labs and our desire to create an, a more transparent inflation or economy monitoring um, set of activities and products and bring that governance associated with those on chain. <laughs> I, uh, wow, you know, you're probably the, I have never interviewed Roger Burr. Okay. Yep. You're, you're probably the closest person to be ending in Bitcoin Cash that I've spoken with. 
So, and I've spoken with Bitcoin uh, BSV people yep. before. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin Cash being the the, the real Bitcoin? Um, I mean, the real Bitcoin. Bitcoin set out to be a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, and um, for me, Bitcoin Cash was really about driving velocity. Um, and with the growth of velocity of money and the growth of not necessarily supply, because supply was equally limited to 21 million uh, Bitcoins, but by growing the velocity, we would increase the supply in terms of sats, right? Um, equivalents in the Bitcoin Cash ecosystem. And how do we do that? Speed and, and fees, right? So if we bring up the speed of finality in terms of confirming a transaction, and we brought down the cost to next to zero of a transaction, that would then grow the transact that would then grow the ecosystem and ultimately the value of a bitcoin or bitcoin cash um and bitcoin cash uh, we were hell-bent in in that pursuit and i think the reason why the fork happened was like in any other chain is as soon as the gas fees start growing as soon as finality starts taking long there seems to be a fork that happens and you can see that not only in Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, but you also see that in Ethereum and the L2s that happened. And then ultimately also the other EVMs that launched, right? Um, and so there, it seems to be repeating itself every time gas fees grow. Um, that said though, I think that, you know, each currency has found their own niche and it's unfortunate because I think if, we had one Bitcoin and that one Bitcoin managed to scale faster instead of diluting the value across 15 or oh, however many, I think there are now 1700 different tokens out there, or I don't know, 17,000 different tokens out there. Um, we would have focused our attention on one currency and scaled it possibly using that one currency and focusing the energy on that. And I think that, was possibly where Bitcoin as an innovative new form of money uh, lost a lot of momentum. And in essence, lost the opportunity to be too big to fail. Beyond just being a store of value, right? I mean, at the moment it's a store of value and it's the best store of value. Don't get me wrong. And, uh, but it's boring, you know, a store of value. The only people using it today are traders, right? People or hodlers that got in really early and they just want to promote it like, like crazy so that it retains its value and grows in value. And they never need to work again. Uh, yeah, I worked at Too Big to Fail. I worked at AIG. So I know what Too Big oh, to yeah. Fail is. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, exactly. When did you leave AIG? When was that? 2017, and I came right into crypto. Okay. So yeah. So did you go through the whole 2008 financial crisis, and and you lived through that at AIG? I did. How was I, that? I did. I was on my honeymoon, 
And we came back and I came back to the office and there were nights there we couldn't leave the office because people were picketing outside of 70 Pine. And so we stayed, we spent the night in the office a few times. Um, it was, you know, there were a lot of people who were very not happy. And, uh, you know, but my, my, my team was involved in a lot of the, a lot of the initiatives to pay back that 180 billion. Like I was involved in several major components of that payback. So, um, yeah, so I know what, I know what it's, it's like, and it looks like some people in the industry today need to get paid back for some things, but we can get into that later. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I want to talk about Laguna Labs. And then I yeah. also eventually want to talk about you into your your view on Ethereum coming from the Bitcoin background. But what is Laguna Labs all about? You know, what makes it great? Um, and then we'll get into some additional stuff. Yeah, so we set up Laguna Labs to originally set out to build out the flat coin, right? Um, what is a flat coin? It's a way for the people to protect themselves against inflation and offer a hedge and retain the cost of living. Um, as we were doing that, we were trying to study uh, inflation itself, right? What is inflation? How's it calculated? Who calculates it? Um, and then we realized a couple of things. One is inflation is a built on a framework. The calculation of inflation is built on a framework set 100 years ago. That's a century old. Pre every household having electricity, mobile phones, computers, etc. And so we've set out to let's take a slightly different approach to that. I think we can take a developer approach. There are a lot of APIs available. The data's uh, out there, uh, we capture a lot of the pricing information at point of sales, uh, uh, devices. We capture them through barcodes, through APIs, uh, through these different aggregators around the world. Okay, so there is a way that we can actually pull all of that data together. Um, and let's then build a synthetic asset pegged to that cost of living. Um, and we set out to do that, and we've since actually launched Trueflation.com. Uh, so Trueflation.com is, is a true calculator of inflation, monitoring and aggregating price information from over 50 different sources across 18 million items um, that we put on chain on a daily basis. So they become immutable and they become verifiable to anybody. And we can't go back and change those. Those are then locked in stone. And we're getting now, we have some close to 50,000 members that are tracking that around the world. The US dollar and the US economy still fuels, let's say maybe 80% of the global economy in terms of dollar transaction wise. Um, so it matters the most. And that's why we're very heavily focused on tracking and providing a calculator for inflation in the US. We did launch the UK as well. Um, and at the moment, the US has been coming down since its peak in March in terms of inflation numbers down to about 7.1% according to Trueflation on top of the 9% a year ago, right? So if you add the two together, um, it's about a 16, 17%, which is where the UK is right now. UK is roughly at about 17 point plus uh, point something percent. 
uh, inflation, which is pretty high uh, for a developed economy. Um, yeah, and that's that's what we launched. We then also have launched Nuon.fi. Uh, Nuon is a perpetual. I mean, it's basically. I mean, it's a flat coin, is what we call it. It's on testnet. We got a lot of user feedback. More than a thousand users have been telling us how to improve it. The they don't like the design and the user experience. So we've gone back and have redeveloped the front end so that the back end can then plug into the front end according to what users are looking for and how they can better experience the product that we've offered. Um, and a flat coin is basically think of it as a synthetic asset that's got a price which is sourced from truflation.com and we peg it to that price. Sounds awesome. Um, yeah. So I want to talk about not just the flat coin, which sounds great, but also about something that starts with an app called Flipping, right? You, um, you know, I want to, your proponent seems to be a proponent of the flipping, right? And I find that interesting coming from your Bitcoin background, right? Um, so, first of all, what is the flipping? And what is its potential? Where are we at today? And how did you transition to being an Ethereum advocate? Um, I think the transition came when, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still love the payments uh, element associated with what we were trying to do at Bitcoin Cash. I really believe we need to build a payment solution. And I think the fact that you don't need a native token to do pay gas fees versus a token to pay the services that you're purchasing, that differentiation is still a super hard struggle for people to get their head around, right? Um, so I need to pay gas fees in Ethereum and then I pay in Tether, for example, right? How does that work? Why, why do I need both, right? And then I sent you Tether, you get it in your wallet, but you can't do a transaction because you have a brand new wallet because you don't have any ETH in that wallet. So, uh, you know, certain things like that, right? Those are, those are user experiences that um, hinder, in my view, a bit of the growth there. Um, I love the fact that we at Bitcoin Cash at the time managed to bring a, a transaction to instantaneous finality using Avalanche and the pre-consensus model. Um, and we, I mean, it was a limited in terms of the number of transactions that we could do at that finality, um, but we were working really hard to improve the code base to do that. Um, and Ethereum, what I what really attracted me to Ethereum was the developer community, right? Where you have developers, where you have passion, where you have engagement, you're just going to enable creativity to flourish. As creativity in software engineering can flourish, you have a whole slew of new business models. And with those new business models, you create efficiencies, you create benefits, you create inclusion, etc. And that's really what got me hooked on Ethereum. There was no community stronger than the Ethereum developer community. And I kept encountering them um, throughout my journey. 
Um, and I just wanted to experience that. And I felt some of the uh, activities of bringing governance on chain into smart contracts, um, auditable, verifiable, open sourced, um, where others can review, they can compile it and, and verify that it actually works according to what they say they do in the white paper. Those types of activities were extremely um, positive. And uh, yeah, and you're seeing that now, you know, the Avalanche community is quite a strong community, but nowhere near the size of Ethereum. You're, and they're building it on the C chain, right? Which is an EVM itself, right? I mean, it's an Ethereum chain as well, a fork of Ethereum. Uh, Binance, it's a it's an Ethereum fork, right? BNB chain. You've got the same with uh, Polygon. And then you look at Solana is the only new chain and Poly, Polkadot, which were the only new chains that sort of really evolved and have very small but committed and passionate communities. And to me, how do we now bring all of those, that effort, that energy together and build out an amazing user-centric approach to the development and the engineering centricity that those networks have? And the flipping is when Ethereum takes over, right? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. And I so think you know, that developer activity, that developer activity that's happening on the Ethereum chain is driving a lot of value. Every one of these layer twos that want to integrate with the Ethereum chain or uses Ethereum chain as the security layer requires ETH to pay for the utility services. Um, and on top of that, that means that Ethereum has significant utility and significant transactional value. Number two is there is the, you know, the burning that is happening right now. In Ethereum for the first time is deflationary. It is now deflationary, net deflationary since the merge. And what does the merge mean? We shifted from a proof of work to a proof of stake framework where miners in the past were rewarded, I don't know, some 13,000, where now they're only earning 1,300 um, uh, ETH per block mined, right? And so that is a significant drop in new tokens mined. And then there is the burn that happens uh, off the back of that. And, and that is a mathematical equation that is sort of um, based on the gas fees that are on there and the number of validators across the network. And so um, in order to incentivize more validators, they then uh, reduce the burn. As more validators come on, they increase the burn. Um, and so that's that's sort of the equation. And as it becomes deflationary, more utility is happening. The velocity of ETH is growing. The value of ETH due to the deflationary nature is going to grow because I will be using more of less. And as a result, the overall price should be going up of Ethereum. And as a result, that, in my view, will cause a flippening where the market cap of Ethereum overtakes the overall market cap of Bitcoin as Bitcoin has become a asset storing investor and investment product. It is the new digital gold 
Um, you know, it's being used for storage in some cases, um, but in the end, it is, um, yeah, still a uh, layer one where trading a lot of the cases happens off chain in the form of ETFs, in the form of trusts, in the form of other sort of type of financial products. So, Bitcoin, right? Um, a yeah. lot, you know, like we were talking about before, before we, before we started the podcast, I, I live in an area with a lot of normies, right? And people see, you know, they don't really know too, or not too, a lot of the people are in the traditional banking industry and not into crypto yet. Uh, my goal is to hopefully help them get there. Um, but, you know, a lot of people said to me, hey, uh, Bitcoin hasn't held up as that, uh, as that hedge against inflation. Now has it? And now everybody, you know, when I hear the word deflationary, people say, okay, Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation. And now you're saying Ethereum is deflationary, but your deflationary definition with Ethereum is different than the definition I hear from Bitcoiners about Bitcoin's deflationary. So what does deflationary mean and how long is it going to take before ETH um, passes Bitcoin? What? Let's put into perspective what deflationary and inflationary means in in terms of cryptocurrencies bitcoin if you look since its inception has created and been one of the best uh investment products you could have uh put your money in right um it, it was super good protection against inflation uh from that perspective uh if you look at it over the last Two years, though, um, it might not show that same number uh, in term in dollar terms. Um, and largely, I think Bitcoin has really become an investment product versus the actual utility that, that it should be. Whilst it's being mined um, uh, by based on energy and by multiple different miners around the world, um, it is still you know, a, an investment product. You buy it, you hold it, and you hedge yourself. And maybe you trade it. You buy futures associated with it, or you buy ETFs associated with it, and then you trade it in and out. Um, and if you look, the current inflation rate associated with Bitcoin is maybe in the, you know, one to 2% per year, right? Which is sort of what Jerome Powell is trying to achieve with the fiat world and the US dollar. Ethereum now, however, is has moved to becoming a negative number. I think net it's like at zero. It's burnt as much as it has uh, mined since the shift from proof of stake to proof of work, uh, proof of work to proof of stake, sorry. Um, and, and as a result, um, yeah, that, that sort of shows on the one hand inflation in the fiat world, we're living with what 7% inflation right now. And so if we've got that and what does inflation really mean? I think a lot of people don't really realize that because the dollar is always a dollar, but it just means that that dollar has a lot less purchasing power than it did a year ago. Your coffee is now 10% less or 7% less than it was last year. And if you combine it two years, that's 15% less. If you look at over a period of time, it's significantly less. And if you just want to experience and get a feel for how that is, go back five 
years or 10 years and look at some of the TV shows that were produced or movies that were produced in those years and look at what the price of a coffee was, what you would get when you would go to the gas station, what you would have to pay in terms of a tip on a, you know, just look at all of that cost of living back then, and that's only five years ago versus today. And you can see it witnessed, documented in these movies, which is a great source to go and experience what inflation is. And if you then native, anyway, that, that's sort of a lot of the aspects um, out there around inflation and deflation and stuff like that. And we just wanted to provide an independent source in terms of US dollar terms, what is inflation? And then how do you look at that? Um, and what does that mean? And how do you hedge yourself against that? Yeah, I go back five years, I could have gone, I could have gotten a, a coffee, Dunkin' Donuts and a donut for, for four hours. Now I can only get the coffee. <laughs> exactly 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 um i was just watching i was on the on a plane and they had a friends friends show was playing and you know they were going to the coffee house for like three dollars they had a coffee they had muffins they had you know cookies and everything you know across two people right so and that was like three dollars right it's like wow you know they were arguing over a tip at 10 percent you're not giving 10 percent tip i've got to give 10 percent tip right and nowadays you know you don't get away with 10 percent tip right yeah i go and it has an option on the screen to press the tip and the lowest tip is 20 percent i'm like what happened to 10. so so yeah so um we have some really crazy stuff happen recently um in in crypto um you know you had a fallout of one of the biggest exchanges in the world, right? Um, FTX, right? And there's a market route. You know, um, what do you, I know you're heavily into develop, enjoying the development community and, you know, looking at that side. And I want to see, you know, now with that FTX thing, what do you see as the digital asset outlook in the near, medium, and then the long term as well? Yeah. Um... Decentralized versus centralized. I mean, that's the way I look at it at the moment. And then government bailouts versus no government bailouts, right? And I think in crypto land, throughout the 12 years or, or 13 years of, uh, or maybe actually 15 years now of the, since inception of Bitcoin, um, there hasn't been a government bailout. It's market forces that have cleaned up on its own and winners have come through this whole ecosystem. Um, there's been a lot of losses uh, suffered. Um, the longer you've been in this ecosystem, the more you will have experienced different types of losses. Um, yet they seem to aggregate uh, or repeat itself around centralized custodian services in this space. I mean, the DAO hack, I'd argue, is definitely not one. Terra, you could argue, is not one. Um, they were experiments that, um, yeah, that the industry indul you know, indulged in. Um, and I think a lot of us knew of those experiments, and some of us... Um, 
took a risk without knowing that. Um, and a lot of us took the risk either way. We were ready to and, and, and happy for that risk as long as it worked out to the upside. And then when it came down to the downside, we had to take the consequences of that. But um, there's been no government bailouts, no taxpayer money has come in to prop up the industry and fix this, number one. Number two is it just brings us back to the core origin as to why we set up this industry was your keys, your coins, right? So we could have a transparent, verifiable, uh, immutable, permissionless ecosystem where everybody that wanted to join could join and participate in this financial freedom and financial creative market. Um, and when push comes to shove, we had the financial creativity and freedom to build out products that would help protect against such frauds and such uh, manipulation and such crashes that happen. I mean, look at the Dow hack, you know, ETH forks, right? We had ETH and we had ETH um, classic. So we had a fork there. So there was a difference of opinion, but we did go back and creatively create a new stream and a new chain. In the Bitfinex hack, we created a new token class that allowed people that were hacked and their funds to be rewarded with a token, admittedly, People that bought that token bought it at a discount to fund the losses that were made throughout that hack. And at that time, that hack was a significant amount. It was only $70 million in terms of value. But at the time, the industry wasn't as big as it is today. And as a result, that was a huge event that happened. Yet financial ingenuity and the creativity associated with tokenomics allowed for that team to build a token that enabled uh, you know, for all of those investors, by the way, that were hacked or the, 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 the account holders that's funds were whose funds were hacked, made their money back within a year. That's how quick it was. And these tokens were so popular that the price went from 30 cents to token above a dollar. So it, the nominal value of that token was greater than the underwritten amount that it was there. And so that is why we went out and why we created this ecosystem to be able to build and creatively come up with solutions, find the good actors from the bad actors, not and, and, and then say these actors are committed to this industry. They will do everything in their you know, capability to fix a, a problem that is created. There will be problems in this industry and we are witnessing them again and again and again. The worst problems are when we have corrupt, bad actors come into the industry and a group of corrupt, bad actors. Because bear in mind, today, there's no one individual that's behind a, 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 a fall. We all paint it as one bad a villain, but it's ultimately a group of villains and there's just one you know, face to that villain, right? And so FTX was a group of individuals that um, in combined you know sort of that that i think acted uh not in the good faith that they should have been acting especially when it comes down to taking customers money into your custody yeah i uh 
every year I go tailgating with my former team at AIG, including my my boss. And he's like, Jamil, you're in crypto before anybody I know. You know, why are you not a millionaire yet? And then you said, you know, that I just had the misfortune of running into a whole bunch of bad actors over the past five years, you know? Um, so how do we how do we fix that in the long term? Um yeah, I mean that's that's I mean yeah, I mean decentralized finance does help fix it, right? We we put more and more of the governance on chain. Um we have and retain our keys um to the coins that we own based on a ledger that is maintained by multiple actors on the blockchain. Um, and only we, with our keys, can access those coins. Um, think of it like a safety deposit box. But if you lose the key to your safety deposit box, you lose access to your safety deposit box. There's no second key anywhere. Um, I think that is one of the ways it's more transparent you can see any movement of that of the decentralized chains um and you can see the total value locked you can see all the transactions um so it's way more transparent than anything else that we have in the financial industry at the moment um you know there are a number of initiatives that are happening across centralized exchanges and i think centralized exchanges do add a significant value centralized custodians add a value uh, because people don't want the responsibility of looking after their own money. So they go to these centralized custodians, right? And it's like, there will be, and, and, and by the way, you know, custodians are, you know, the more assets you grow in a custodian, the more, more lucrative that becomes to either attack or to have an individual within that organization to be able to take funds away and run with it. Right. And, and, um that is just the nature of it right i mean um how do we clean that up is 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 ultimately governance processes checks and balances um and 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 things like that and either you can do them manually with people or, or you can do them through smart contracts and governance modules right and um which is stronger i mean you know that smart contracts and code will operate as the code is defined there is no leeway in 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 that activity and in when you have people you know people may act emotionally people may you know sort of you have room to maneuver when it comes to dealing with people and which do you prefer i think there it will be the choice of either or you choose the choice should be yours and we should maintain the right for users and the people to choose and and i think that's what i advocate for so people should have the right to choose who they want to trust exactly and then do your research right i mean really look at don't just fomo in i think a lot of people out of greed just fomo in it's like 
oh, you made a hundred dollars. How come you made a million dollars? I didn't make a million dollars. And then envy comes in, right? And so I'm envious. You made a hundred dollars. You made it in crypto. I don't want to put in the time and the five years, et cetera, that I put into crypto to really understand it or learn it and, and see who the good actors are versus the bad actors. What's the right code? What is the good platform, a bad platform? I just want to go in because you went in and I'm just going to go in because somebody, I saw an ad somewhere, oh, invest here, right? And it's, I just go in. Um, and, and that greed ultimately creates FOMO, which, um, yeah, so really just my view is, is listen to your podcasts, right? That's why you do this, right? Um, you want to highlight who the right good actors are versus the bad actors. Get a view, make an opinion. Spend time. Don't go full in, all in, in one go. Start slowly uh, and learn. Get comfortable. You know, look after your keys and your coins, right? Know how to store your keys. Know how to store them securely, encrypted, so that nobody can hack your keys. Because once you lose your keys, you lose your coins, um, etc. right? Those are so many things that we all need to learn. And uh, as we enter into this space versus just following giving it to an institution and then letting them do all the work and you just get the rewards which you can do but then you should pay for that and if you're getting that for free you've got to ask yourself there's something not quite right here one lesson i've learned i'd say over everything else in this industry is how to start over from zero <laughs> a bunch of times <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's amazing. You know, we just had two, three blowouts this year, right? We had the Terra, Three Arrows, um, Block 5, Voyager, Celsius, you know, all of them sort of blow up um, earlier this year. A lot of people lost a lot of money. And I can tell you, you go, Terra was home nation was Korea. You go to Korean blockchain week, like two, three weeks later, the builders were there. They moved on. I lost my money. Damned if I'm not going to make up for it again. Damned if I'm not going to build something new again, right? It's like I'm licking my wounds. And while I'm licking my wounds, I'm worrying about how I can make it back again. What can I do? And the same with FTX. You know, uh, one of our team members had a lot of funds. And these are significant amounts of money in uh, FTX, where they cannot access it anymore and most likely will not be able to access it for the next 10 years if they get anything back. But in their mind, they've written it off. I will recover. I will make up for it again. And they're already there working and trying to hustle their next way into the next opportunity. And part of that is possibly because they're still young. It's a very young generation. It's a young person's movement in a way. And maybe they, they're still young enough to just pick themselves up and go. Or it's an industry attitude where it's just, look, we've, we've come up. This is still super early in a new industry class and category that's going to disrupt the whole world across all different segments at some point. If I get in now, it's only going to grow. I just need to find a platform that will help me grow in this area. Uh, people that stick around, stay around. The people that stay around generally over the long term will make up for the losses that they make along the way. I totally agree. So, um, yeah. So I want to thank you very much for speaking with me today. This has been a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I have one last question. And it's 
how can people find out more information about you, about Laguna Labs? How can they, you know, get involved in your community? How can they do that? Yeah, so um, follow us on Twitter um, and on on Telegram. That's where we're most active, I'd say, on both those two platforms. Um, you know, you can follow me at srust99 uh, on Twitter and on Telegram. So I'm on both those platforms as well. And go to our websites, truflation.com. Um, no E in there, truflation.com and nuon.fi check those out follow us on those two platforms and yeah reach out to us we're a super engaging uh we have a super engaged community we listen to our community we try to take in what we can do better around the products we're building everything to be community owned um, and so without the community we're only we're we're not as we're only as good as our community Got it. Sounds great. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Jamil. Um, super good being on the show and thank you.